Colin was caught in a pileup on the highway. The sounds of cars honking could be heard for miles. Looking within the car surrounding him, he saw different stories playing out. In one car, he saw a single mother holding the wheel in one hand and trying to calm a baby in another. The two kids sitting in the back were watching what he assumed were tablets with headphones on. The children looked unfazed. Yet there was enough fear in the mother's eyes for all of them. In another car, he saw who he presumed were all college-aged guys rocking out to a song in the car. They were head-banging and looked as if they hadn't had a care in the world. Colin rolled down his window to try to hear what they were listening to, but the sounds of honking drowned out the music. In his rear-view window, he could see a family of five solemnly sitting. They were not frantic. The father had one hand on the wheel and another in his wife's hand. She clutched his hand with both of hers and raised it high enough for Colin to see over the dash. Three children in the back had their heads down, and it looked like they too were all holding hands. The father seemed the most emotional, as he was the only one speaking. Based on watching his delivery, Colin assumed they must have been praying. Every once in a while, the rest of the family would utter something, most likely amen or something along those lines. Colin grew up Roman Catholic and could still remember a few prayers and responses, but he left most of that behind him. By the time he went to college, he felt he was losing his faith. By sophomore year, he gave up going to church entirely. It wasn't like anything in particular pushed him away, but that he got caught up with a new life he was carving for himself. It had been a while since Colin had even thought of God. Colin watched as the mother who had been holding back tears, finally erupted. The children in the back broke from their stoic stances and opened their eyes. They shifted forward as much as possible as they tried to console their mother. The father turned towards her with loving eyes and said something that calmed her down rather quickly. With tears still in her eyes, she composed herself and it looked like she encouraged her husband to continue with the prayer. To his far left, Colin noticed this one sign on a window of a restaurant. The sign read, free meals. He could see the people almost celebrating inside. There wasn't any sign of grief or dismay, just love and laughter. Waiters were hastily bringing out meals to the few tables of patrons. An older couple, presumably the owners, were going around table to table, checking in on everyone. Only smiles could be seen on their faces as they greeted each and every one of their guests. How could all these people act so joyfully 
knowing that at any moment we could all be blown away, he thought. Maybe they had all found something that Colin had been searching for. Is this it? Colin thought. He panicked. Not because of the earthquake itself, but the fear that he may never get to Catherine now. Colin gripped the console and the overhanging handle. Cars were shuffling in the street as the earth moved from under them. Street lights and power lines were swaying frantically. Transformers were bursting as light poles broke free from their positions. Several of the poles were collapsing on top of cars. A few ignited, raising flames. Drivers were hastily scurrying from their cars while trying to keep themselves upright. Colin looked back over at the restaurant. The power was out, yet he could still see people huddled under tables as the wall frames, lights, glass, and anything else that wasn't bolted down fell to the floor. Falling debris, explosions, and car alarms replaced the honking that had once consumed the air. Colin sat very tense, holding on for dear life. All of a sudden, a crack emerged from the middle of the street, a couple dozen yards from where Colin's car was. The crack opened up and started swallowing cars. It began to rip down the street as if it were a zipper. Drivers were desperately trying to move their cars out of the way, but the congestion made it hard for much to happen. Cars on both sides of the lane were being engulfed. Noticing this, Colin shifted his car into reverse and slammed his foot on the gas barely swerved around the family behind him and somehow made it to the sidewalk where he viciously made a K-turn and proceeded to drive away. The earthquake subsided and so did the ground from opening up. From his rear view mirror, he could see that the cars that had fallen victim did not fall all too far, but were rather pinned on their sides within what looked now to be a large rut. Colin reached a side street where he turned onto it and proceeded to go down, hoping it would connect him to another main road. The side road led him into a neighborhood. The road was clear, but street signs and lights were down and trees had collapsed onto houses. A couple houses in particular looked like smoke was coming out from their windows, yet no one was running out. Based on the lack of cars he saw in driveways, Colin assumed most people from this neighborhood had evacuated. He meandered through the quiet neighborhood for a while until he found another main road. This was not as congested as the one he had been on prior, but was littered with fallen fast food restaurant signs, street lights, and a few trees. In the distance, he could see a bright blaze. It was a gas station. The entire station was up in flames. Even as he drove closer, it was hard to tell if any cars remained for the roof above the filling stations had collapsed. The whole gas station was ablaze, but no sign of firefighters coming. The station would be left to burn out, possibly even spreading to nearby establishments. No one was coming to put out the fire. No one was coming to save the day. Colin's stomach sank as a feeling of loneliness and dread swept over him. Colin drove past the blaze, what else was there for him to do? Just like the driver, he left lying in his blood on the highway. What could really be done at this point, 
he thought. What could really be done? That thought branded itself in Colin's mind. Even if he did manage to meet up with Catherine, would she listen to anything he had to say? Would she even look at him? The more he drove, the more he felt like this was a bad idea. He wasn't always able to say the right thing back then. He wondered how he would do now. You just love doing that, don't you? <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm happy to see a smile on your face. How are you holding up? Still bummed. I don't blame you. Like, I really thought I was going to get this promotion. I really let myself believe I was going to get it. I come in early every day, and I'm always the last to leave. There hasn't been one animal I haven't bonded with yet, and adoption rates have gone up since I've been there. And Cassidy gets it. Honestly, I see her on her phone more than anything. I hear you. She doesn't put in nearly as much of work as the rest of us. If Brandon or Sylvia got it, I'd probably feel different, but Cassidy? Ugh, it makes me so mad. Babe, sometimes it plays out that way. Unfortunately, when you're so good at a certain job, they'll be less inclined to promote you. You're saying I didn't get the promotion because I'm too good at my job? Partly, yeah. They might think you're invaluable where you are. But just because you didn't get this promotion, you may get another. There might be another position you'll be even more perfect for. Don't get too down. You have so much potential. I hate that word. Potential. Everyone keeps saying I have potential. No one says what I am now is enough. Everyone says my time will come. But when, though? All I've been doing is trying. I've been putting in the prep. And then we were notified they're looking for another manager. I, I thought it was a sign. And then all of that fell right out from under me. She just walked in like that and got it. Are you mad at me? What? Are you mad at me too? You know, I just got my promotion a couple weeks ago and I really haven't been at the firm that long. Not like I don't put in the effort, but I'm sure there are other people who have been there longer who have been waiting for my new position. Not exactly like Cassidy, but I just walked in and rose up the ladder pretty quickly. Are you thinking about me the way you're thinking about Cassidy? Are you kidding me? Why would you bring this up? It's an honest concern. Why would you do that? I didn't once think about you like that. But now, I feel like you're just throwing the fact you got your promotion and I didn't in my face. No, no, that, that, that's not what I meant. That's how it feels. I was... Hi there. You guys ready? Do you know what you want? Yeah, but I probably won't get that either. Catherine! I'm sorry, it's, it's just been a rough day. Finding a radio station that had any music on was next to impossible. He scrolled through the entire dial without a song to be found. What he wouldn't do to listen to anything to take him out of this moment. Music had always been a great escape. Not just for himself, but for Catherine too. He could still remember late-night car rides, holding hands with each other. Colin would always let Catherine grab the aux cord. Though Colin may not have enjoyed every song that she played, he couldn't help but smile when he heard her sing along to every word. There was an air of freedom in those moments. 
Colin reached out to the passenger's seat to rest his hand on a lap that hadn't been there for months. He kept turning the dial, hoping to find something to ease his mind. All that there was was static on the FM line. There wasn't a station around that was broadcasting. How could he blame them? He thought about the news broadcaster that he was watching earlier, curious if they were still there or if they had evacuated. If they were to stay up until the very end, it would be like a captain going down with his ship, steadfast in their passion through the very end. To have that kind of responsibility to something was almost unfathomable to Colin. Almost. Listening to broadcasters continue to freak out about the disasters. All of them saying the same things. He kept turning until he heard the song. That song. It had to be that song playing. Can I finally take off this blindfold yet? <laughs> Not yet. We're almost there. Where on earth did you take me? I felt like we drove all over the place. I couldn't take a direct route. Then you might have figured it out. Figured it out? Where are we? Let me just get this door, and here you are. Okay, you can take it off. Oh my god, Colin. Colin recalled that moment vividly. Colin had brought Catherine to the place they had met, Darcy's Cafe. They both got jobs there one semester. Very quickly, they hit it off. They were happiest when they got shifts at the same time. By the time the semester was about to end and they were going to head home for the summer, Colin admitted his feelings to Catherine. It was not a very big cafe, but there was a gorgeous terrace in the back. Colin strung string lights around the fence and cleared out every table, except for one in the center of the stonework. He laid out a trail of rose petals to a table set for two in the center of the patio, accented by candlelight. How did you... You can thank Darcy. I called in a favor. I asked if and when there might be an available night to take this place over. <laughs> when I told her we were still together, she was bubbling over with excitement, raving about how cute we were just getting to know each other that spring. She said she could tell that we had that chemistry from the start. Colin, I don't know what to say. I know we're about a week early, but happy anniversary, Kat. Colin, this is wonderful. Thank you, baby. Happy anniversary. Before we sit down to a fine dinner, I have one more thing. May I have this dance? Is this what I think it is? That song that Darcy would play on repeat that you used to hate but eventually fell in love with? Yes. Yes, it is. You're so cheesy. Yeah. But you love it, though. Colin resented the city life. Colin was not a rural boy by any means, but he loved his suburbs. He loved the idea of living in a neighborhood, but still being within a 10 minute radius of a mall, grocery store, and a school. Just the right amount of space and accessibility. Cities were too crowded, too bustling, and too frantic for his style. 
Catherine grew up in a city. Colin understood the need to potentially work and commute in and out of the city, but he still wanted to live in a suburb on the outskirts. That was something they bickered about all the time. Colin used to think it was one of those cute arguments and only focused on the fact that they were thinking of life with each other. Rarely would he notice that he was needling her too hard and putting down her ideas. As he made his way into the city, he found it funny how none of that mattered anymore. Suburbanite or metropolitan, upper class, middle class, lower class, none of that mattered. At this point, each person had the same chance of survival as the individual next to them. In someone's last moments, you truly see who they are. Driving through the city was a mess, much more than it would be in normal circumstances. People were running up and down the sidewalk like madmen, each one of them only looking after themselves. There was so much pushing and shoving, no one was helping anyone up off the ground. People were getting stepped on until they could make it over to the closest building to prop themselves up against. At a turn, amongst all the chaos, there was a scraggly-looking man. Colin assumed he was homeless, for his jacket and pants were clearly beat up and hadn't been washed. The man's beard was gray and wild, reaching out in all directions. His leathery skin was stained by the sun. In his hand, he held a cardboard sign that said, Repent, the end is near. As he got a little closer, Colin noticed an addendum was written in the corner. It looked like it read, I told you so. Amongst all the disarray and confusion, something else caught his eye. As everyone had been running around and scattering, Colin saw a stunning woman in a red dress. She stuck out like a sore thumb. While the atmosphere of the whole day felt gray, she was the vibrant splash of color, adding variation to the palette. She strutted in her high heel shoes down the sidewalk as if she were on a runway. She sure had the beauty and the confidence to go along with it. She kept her head held high, and each stride she took was with power and grace. Where could she be going, Colin thought. Was she off to impress someone? Was she trying to win back an ex? Perhaps make someone jealous? Maybe she didn't wear that dress for anyone but herself. If she knew that she was gonna go out, might as well do it in style. Colin couldn't help but think of her motivations. Was she at peace, or did she have one last statement to make? The red dress was what burned in Colin's mind, even well after he passed her. It had been a while since he had seen a dress like that. Somewhere between all the existentialism, he slipped away once again into a memory that had haunted him for months. Colin, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be at the gala? I was, but I couldn't stop thinking about you. Are you all right? You just left out of nowhere. I told you you didn't have to leave. I know, but something felt off. Did I say something? D did I do something? Are, are we all right? No, it was nothing you did. You know how I get with crowds. It was just more than I could handle tonight. Besides, those are all your people, not mine. I didn't want you to leave, though. I just needed a moment to catch my breath and have some space for a moment. I told you that. Yeah, I know, but this was supposed to be 
our night. You know, we've been talking about this for weeks. You bought that new dress. It was going to be our first time out in a while. We were going to dance and have a good time. And that's why I came. It's still our night. You keep saying that, but this was your event. Your night, not mine. I wanted you to have a good time still. How can I have a good time without my best girl by my side? Oh, this again. What again? You don't need me to have a good time. We were fine. As I said, it was overwhelming and I just needed to get out. And now you're making me feel bad for ruining your vision of a perfect night. That's not what I'm trying to do. But that's how you're making me feel. I wish you could just trust me when I say that we were all right and respect that I needed a moment to myself. I'm only trying to make sure we're all right. I'm here to help. No, you're trying to make sure that you are all right. You have to make sure that everyone likes you. You have to make sure your image is intact. And me deciding I want to go home and let you stay there to have a good time means to you that there is an issue. Your perfect dream night is ruined because you don't have a girl on your arm to show off. You always find a way to make things back to you. Where is this coming from? It's been building, Colin, for a while now. And I haven't said anything because I didn't want to hurt you. I know that you've been going through a lot with work, with all the events, with the loans, but you just dump it all on me, hardly giving me a chance to breathe. And whenever I try to bring up something that has been bothering me, you find a way to turn the conversation back to you. Kat, that's not what I'm trying to do. We said from the beginning of this relationship that we are both going to be open and honest with each other, which I've been trying to do. You know this doesn't come easy to me, but I trust you, and I'm trying so hard to be vocal about all my thoughts and feelings. But you're not leaving any room for me. Like, what about your promotion? When you asked if I was mad at you for getting yours when I didn't get mine? Wait a second. I thought we were past this. I was genuinely worried. I knew how passionate you were about that manager position. I, I felt bad. I wasn't mad at you. I wasn't until you said something. And I wasn't upset you got that promotion. I was happy for you. I was proud of you. How could I not be? I was sad for myself and myself alone, but that was supposed to be my moment to be upset and vent, and you made the situation about you. I didn't need you to say anything or try to help. I needed someone to listen. I needed someone to hold me. I needed someone to ride out the storm with me, and instead of being there for me, you made it about you. Colin snapped back to reality. Glass from the windshield scattered in front of him. He could feel a line of blood running down his forehead. The airbag sucker punched him like a schoolyard bully. From over the airbag, peering through the shattered windshield, he saw another car rammed into the front of his car. Dazed, Colin tried to get himself together. He stumbled out of the car and observed the mess. His ears were ringing, yet he could still faintly hear the man from the other car yelling at him from his driver's seat. Colin looked at the man blankly as he continued to yell at him. All of a sudden, Colin broke into a full sprint down the road. Slowly regaining his hearing, he could hear more of the man yelling as he created more distance. No car crash was going to stand in his way from seeing Catherine one last time. It didn't matter how much his head was throbbing or how out of breath he was getting, he just ran down the street. Cars swerving all around him, people yelling at each other from buildings and sidewalks, yet Colin kept running straight as he slipped back into another memory. Everyone could find their seats. The 
How are you feeling? I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, I am pretty nervous. You're gonna be all right. You're being awarded the Exceptional Service Award. And it's even more impressive since you've only been here for seven months. Nobody has ever been awarded it that soon. Thanks. I appreciate it. What's wrong? None of my family are able to come to this, and Colin was originally supposed to come, but instead he's at traffic court several towns over fighting a speeding ticket. It was hard enough not having my family here, but it would have meant a lot having him here. <laughs> you may want to turn around. Where's Catherine? Have you seen her? Uh, excuse me. Uh, where can I find Catherine? Colin? Colin! Cat! <laughs> What are you doing here? I thought you had traffic court. I did. I got there two hours early, hoping that they could squeeze me in sooner. Which they were able to. I wasn't going to miss this for the world. Why are you so out of breath? I couldn't get a parking space, so I had to park a few blocks down. So I ran. Also, uh, <laughs> these are for you. Oh, they're beautiful. I can't believe you're here. I told you, I'm always going to find my way back to you. Colin's heart pounded harder and harder as he neared her apartment. Not from all the running, rather from the thought of seeing her again. His head swirled with emotions, regret, love, doubt, excitement. Just because he made it all this way, didn't mean he would be welcomed back. He made it all this way. What if she didn't want to see him? It was a risk he was willing to take. He had to see her one more time. At the very least, to say sorry for everything. Very rarely do we get multiple chances to make things right. Colin did not need her love. He already knew that it was long gone. Colin approached the apartment building. He recalled how he helped to move into this building. It was more upscale than the dorm she was in for the majority of their relationship. Though Colin may have only been to this building a handful of times, he could never forget a route that would bring him back to Catherine. Broken glass was scattered across the parking lot and sidewalk. Multiple windows were shattered as he inspected the building, including the glass doors. Carefully, he made his way through where the pain once was and cautiously inspected the lobby. The only light came from the light outside. He went over to the elevator and pushed the button. No response. Impatiently looking around, Colin searched for the stairs. He spotted the door and started running again. His legs and lungs were burning intensely, but he kept striding up the staircase. Already. He felt he had wasted so many moments, but he was determined not to this time. Seven flights of stairs later, he paused for a second at the door frame. He could see her room down the hall. The door was open. Fear kicked in. Did something happen to her? Did someone break in? Did she leave? Was all this for nothing? Slowly, he walked over to her door. Everything was still. He couldn't even hear the commotion from the street. The only thing he could hear was his heart beating in his throat. 
Colin walked through the open door. He looked around to see if anything was different. Broken, damaged, stolen. The windows seem intact. The furniture looked relatively untouched. Her TV still stood on the stand in the living room. Everything was turned off. Even the digital clock was blank. He made his way to the kitchen. There, he found a shattered glass upon the floor. Cat? He sheepishly made his way to her bedroom. The door was open just to crack. Cat? He pushed the door open. She was nowhere to be found. Colin ran his hand through his hair in frustration and slammed the wall. He missed her. She could be anywhere in the world at this point. Stupid, stupid, stupid! Ah! He felt broken, lost. Now, in what could be his final moments, he stood in her room all alone. He took a look around. In so many ways, it reminded him of her old college dorm. Her rose bulb string lights hung right below the ceiling. By the window was a small potted plant. She used to love having flowers to care for. On special occasions, instead of getting a bouquet, Colin would get her another plant. He wanted to give her something that would last longer and hopefully not fade away. The room was slightly more messy than he remembered her keeping it, but considering the circumstances, it looked pretty good. On her desk sat unlit, half-melted candles. Colin picked one up as he remembered all the times he went into the candle shop with Kat at the mall. Also on the desk, he spotted the little jewelry box she got for Christmas one year from her mom. He remembered how she loved that box. He also remembered she used to keep the crescent moon earrings he got for her in there. She was obsessed with the sun, the stars, and the moon. Many of their first nights speaking were under the moon. He would be getting out of a shift at the restaurant around midnight, and she would still be up to text him to see how his shift went. Shouldn't you be asleep? Not without saying goodnight. She would usually respond. Colin took a look inside the jewelry box. Couple necklaces, couple rings, but no sign of the earrings. She probably got rid of him, he thought. He put the box down on the desk and looked up to see a framed picture and quote of Audrey Hepburn. It read, For beautiful eyes, look for the good in others. For beautiful lips, speak only words of kindness. And for poise, walk with the knowledge that you are never alone. Catherine truly embodied this. She tried to live by it every day, and it always amazed Colin. Regardless of the situation, she always had love in her heart. He could never understand how she remained so pure. Perhaps it was his own jaded spirit that disabled him to comprehend the beauty. A few feet over to the right was her collage of family photos. Colin remembered in her old dorm room staring at these pictures, trying to memorize faces and trying to put names to them. All these people meant a lot to Catherine, so he wanted to make sure he could know as much about them even before meeting them. Between the collage and the Audrey Hepburn photo, there's an open spot with a nail. Something once rested in this spot. Colin looked down to see if it dropped. Nothing was on the floor. He looked around the room to see if a frame was placed somewhere. On her bed, he spotted one frame lying face down. 
He walked over to the bed and picked it up. He turned it over and he couldn't believe his eyes. Tears again started to well up. It was the painting of the dough that he had bought her on their first date. He took Catherine to a local church carnival. It was a gorgeous, sun-filled summer day, her yellow dress competing with the sun for who could be brighter that day. Amongst all the vendors they visited, they came across a tent of a local artist. She painted and drew the most beautiful of landscapes. This one painting of these lush woods with a majestic doe standing in the clearing, showered by sunlight, caught Catherine's eyes. Colin insisted he buy it for her. He could still picture her big green eyes admirably looking at him, so sweet and so thankful. He couldn't believe that she kept this. Colin's mind wandered to other moments at the fair. There was a petting zoo where people could feed the animals. Colin was terrified, but Catherine dragged him in. Colin could never forget their trip on the Ferris wheel. Catherine's favorite ride growing up was the Ferris wheel, so she insisted they go on it. She didn't have to twist Colin's arm. She was so excited and she cuddled up very close to him. And by pure magic, the Ferris wheel stopped while they were at the very top. They could see out for miles, and by that time, the sun was setting behind the mountains in the distance. Colin took one look at her snuggled up against him. They stared into each other's eyes for a moment, and they both softly went in for their first kiss. They always say that you should feel sparks on a first kiss. That's not exactly what Colin felt. He felt as if he'd kissed those lips all of his life. He felt that they were so familiar, so comforting, so sweet and so soft, and in that moment, he was convinced that he would be kissing them for the rest of his life. Colin continued staring at this painting in his hands, awestruck that she never got rid of it. C Colin? Startled, Colin jumped and turned to the door. It was Catherine. Her eyes looked red and puffy, as if she'd been crying as well. She was wearing her yellow dress. Her hair was down, but on the left side, her hair was tucked behind her ear. On her ear dangled one of the crescent moon earrings. She was shaking, visibly unnerved. I was in the car when I saw you run like an idiot down the street. The best that Colin could do was stare. He was frozen in place. He tried to recall the speech that he'd been practicing in his head. He opened his mouth, but nothing would come out. Shaking, he placed the painting on the bed. They stood six feet apart from each other. For months, Colin had only dreamed of seeing her again, envisioning all the things he would say and do. And at that moment, he couldn't do a thing. Cat, I, um. Catherine broke from the doorway and rushed right into his arms. She grabbed him tight with tears streaming down her face. Colin, again startled, stood there for a second until he realized what was happening. He wrapped his arms around firmly and buried himself in her hair. He too started to sob. They both stood in her bedroom, unable to compose themselves and unwilling to let go of each other. Colin could feel her head pressed up against his chest. The earth began to shake, yet they remained perfectly still. The sounds from the streets erupted once more, yet they remained perfectly quiet. All they could do was hold each other, and unlike any time before, they refused to let go.
This has been The End of Us, Part 2. Written by Connor Walsh. Narrated by Stefan Feibel. Colin portrayed by Connor Walsh. Catherine portrayed by Shannon O'Hara. Additional voices by Harrison Mark. Produced and sound designed by Connor Walsh. Additional sound effects provided by freesound.org. To become a patron and support this channel, go to patreon.com slash porridgeco. Porridgeco presents Tales from the Black Box, an anthology series.